I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I would say perceptions are part of history, and it's the responsibility of all of us to change that perception. So in my career, and this is what I would say to young women, you have to change the perception because perception is someone's reality, and it is the responsibility of you to help change their perception. Mm -hmm. And so you have to work really hard sometimes to do that in a different way. Debbie Hayes is the Chief Operating Officer of Christ Hospital Network, a top-ranking hospital in the U.S. She oversees 6,500 employees at this health organization, having started at the hospital as a nurse more than 30 years ago. She has risen through the ranks at Christ Hospital by being a team player, a lifetime learner, often taking on additional responsibilities, even when she didn't fully understand what was expected. Debbie believes we can influence how we are perceived by exuding confidence, demonstrating our talents, and acquiring skills and education needed to gain credibility. During the COVID-19 pandemic, her leadership was called upon as she led the hospital network through the crisis. There's a lot of great advice in this podcast for women. Enjoy listening to Debbie Hayes. I'm delighted to have as a guest today on Leading She, Debbie Hayes, Chief Operating Officer of the Christ Hospital Health Network. Debbie's had a distinguished career for the last five years. She has had executive oversight of network operations with annual net operating revenue of a little greater than uh, a billion uh, with 6,500 employees. And over 30 years ago, Debbie, you started uh, 1989 with Christ Hospital as a nurse and uh, COO today. So welcome to Leading She. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Um, tell me about your career. You've been there, been at Christ Hospital a long time and uh, started as a nurse, and now you're COO. And I know some women that might be listening want to hear how you did it. You have a long resume, very impressive, a lot of awards, a lot of community service. So I'd love to hear about your career. Sure. Well, you know, it's really interesting when you go back and you look over the last 30 years because if one would have asked me, 30 years ago, what would you be doing today? This would not have been the answer. (laughs) So originally, I had thought about going to medical school and for a lot of different reasons, decided that was not the path that I was going to go down. And um, I come from a pretty meager upbringing. I was the first young woman in our entire family to go to college. Uh, My parents, um, my father was a printer and uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. For many years, and uh, they always instilled in me a sense of there is a way to do better. And they encouraged me to go to college, and they encouraged me to continue to learn, and they encouraged me to have a good work ethic as I went down my career. So I was in college, decided uh, medical school was not for me, but at the time I was living on my own, and I had to pay the bills. So I was working in local nursing homes and things like that at the time to pay the bills while I went to school and really fell in love with patient care. And so that fast forward, I decide not to go to medical school, right? But I still need a way to have a career. And I thought my love is really taking care of people and giving back to people that are less fortunate than I. And so I took that love and I went back to nursing school. Mm -hmm. And so in my early career, I went to nursing school during the day 
And then I would work at the hospital in the evening. And I did that for two years so that I could hurry up and have a real paying job. And that's when I started at the Christ Hospital. I actually started there as a student nurse aide. Mm. Um, Once I graduated from nursing school, I became a critical care nurse in the intensive care units and did that for a number of years. It's interesting. I was out on maternity leave and I got a call from a colleague and about a management position. I had never really thought about a management position, but decided at that time that it might be something I would want to try. So I did, ended up loving it, took on some additional responsibilities over the subsequent years. And that's one thing in my career that I always think about. It's never been planned necessarily. I have had aspirations uh, for my career, but it's never been a planned sort of stepwise fashion. But what was planned was that when opportunities were available, that I would seize the moment. And so back in my career, I'm now manager, then I become a director over a variety of clinical areas. And then I eventually was given the opportunity to become the chief nursing officer at the Christ Hospital. And um, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And I did that for about 13 years. And during that 13 years, the organization evolved. We became part of a health system. We grew and expanded. And then towards the end of those 13 years, we as an organization decided to leave that health system. So when that happened, I was also asked to be the chief information officer for a couple of years. I really didn't know a lot about information technology, but that was really when the electronic medical record Uh, Mm -hmm. was becoming the thing of the future. And so I took that opportunity. And it was a wonderful couple of years doing that, as well as being the chief nursing officer, because again, it gave me responsibilities and it helped me learn about the organization in ways I probably would have never learned before. Mm -hmm. So after that, the organization continues to grow. We're now an independent organization, and we need to do different things because we had been part of a health system for 14 years. And I was given some additional responsibilities uh, in things that uh, traditionally a woman would not have responsibilities for, real estate, Mm -hmm. facilities and construction, things like that. And so again, didn't really know a lot about those areas but took that opportunity to learn. And so I was the chief nursing officer and essentially the chief operating officer for a few years. And then as the organization continued to grow, that just became an untenable situation because people needed attention and I couldn't split myself in too many ways. So then about six years ago, I became the chief operating officer and hired a chief nursing officer for the organization. She's a wonderful woman. Um, And then, again, have continued to learn and grow with the organization Mm -hmm. as we have continued to learn and grow um, in the community. Right. The move from uh, chief nursing officer to COO, that's a big Mm -hmm. move. You know, you're over the nursing staff at Christ, but to go to COO... You know, you had the chief information officer responsibility. You had you were kind of moving around, getting different experiences, but that was a big move. Did you aspire to do that, or did somebody see something in you and say Debbie Hayes is the person for this job? You know, um, I I I really thought about how could I continue as I progressed in my career to give back to the community in different ways. And so nursing is a love of mine. Um, 
I have great a great deal of respect for the profession. But I also knew that there were other things that our organization did to serve this community that I was interested in mm-hmm. and that I felt like pursuing a career as the chief operating officer would be another way that I could continue to give back to the community. And mm-hmm. so I uh, took a chance, uh, took on some additional responsibilities, hoping that that would become available. And again, never necessarily planned, but I knew that I could influence positively the things that were going on with our institution in a way that I felt like could help serve the mission mm-hmm. that we have. Okay. So you're home on maternity leave and you're in nursing and uh, an opportunity for managing becomes available and you decide to do it. And you made a comment to me about your father was not surprised. Mm-hmm. Does your, what is your, how would your father describe your personality? Well, uh, my father would tell you the story uh, about how I used to play teacher down in the basement, and I was always the teacher. I was never the student, um, and that I liked to lead, yes. right? And right. he he often tells stories about how when I was little and and there were things that needed to be done or new experiences, he'd say, you're always the first one to put your hand up. And you'd always say, I'm going to try it, Dad. I don't know if I can do it, but I'll try it. And um, so, you know, he often jokes with me about, well, uh, when are you going to graduate? Because I have a number of degrees. And the only reason, it's not the only reason, but the reason I have those degrees is, number one, I think it's important to continue to learn. But I pursue those degrees intentionally, intentionally because of what was going on in my life and in my career. And I felt like it was a way that I could continue to learn so that I could mentor others in the path Mm -hmm. and so that I would be knowledgeable enough to help the discussion when it happened and also to influence the decision based on a knowledge base that I might not have had had I not pursued those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, uh, it sounds like your father saw early leadership um, tendencies, and I think some of that is innate or we're born with it or we're exposed to it, I think, in our families. But I think there is something about people in a, raising their hand, uh, you know, taking the initiative. Uh, you went back to get your MBA from Xavier, and I, th- I think that might have been maybe a I don't want to say turning point, but a point in your career where you thought, I need more business Mm -hmm. uh, acumen and uh, training and education in order to do more at the hospital and administration. What was that decision? You know what, that's a a really important point in my career. So there are a couple of degrees that I have. A master's in nursing, obviously, as I'm progressing through Mm -hmm. my career as a chief nursing officer, that was really important. And then, again, as I became the chief information officer, I went back as I was getting my MSN and got an MBA, an MBI, excuse me, Master's in Business Informatics. And the reason for that was there was a business aspect about the decisions that I would be making in the future, all related to technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, a little bit of business, a little bit of information technology and what the future of healthcare was going to look like. And then as I started thinking about Chief Operating Officer, I knew that the piece of my training over the years that was really not as strong as other pieces was that whole business analytics business and how do you operate. Um, And again, so an MBA became 
um, very apparent to me that it was important. If I mm-hmm. wanted to advance in my career, that would be something that I would need. Mm-hmm. Because traditionally, in a very female-dominated profession of nursing, nurses were not looked at as having a good business sense about them. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I completely disagree with that. Nurses make all kinds of business decisions every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that lingo that the business... Um, demands if you cannot speak the language and you cannot speak it well it makes it appear as if you are not as um uh well versed in the decision making as you need mm-hmm. to be so you have to understand the vocabulary and how business people th- think yes and uh, it's important to get the lingo and the vocabulary of and not only the vocabulary, but how things work in business. That's how, right. What, how decisions are made. And you want to have street credibility. Yeah. And if you cannot talk the lingo, if right. you cannot speak the vocabulary, even though your idea may be very good, mm-hmm. actually it may be excellent, you will not have the credibility that you would have if you can speak the vocabulary of the audience that you are trying to influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, you're very proud to be a nurse in your nursing background. What do you think the um, false, um, you know, uh, things about a nurse? In other words, what are the preconceived notions about nurses that are false? Um, you know, it's really interesting, and I think it's evolved over the years. I think traditionally um, the nursing profession has always been characterized as a very caring profession. But the nursing profession is an art and a science. And the rigor of the science is, in many cases, as rigorous as what our physician colleagues obtain. Mm -hmm. And so that art and that science, I think, is something that's really important, but often not recognized. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that that is a historic way of thinking. I do think that that thinking is evolving. I would tell you that um, back in the early 1990s, uh, there were um, uh, there was a lot of anxiety about advanced practice nurses because the community at large, the medical community, felt like that they were not as qualified to do the things that we were training them to do. Well, now the adoption of and inclusion of advanced practitioners in the whole healthcare delivery model is exploded because we have now proven with science that they're a valuable piece of the healthcare delivery system. That is an evolution in thinking about how nursing has evolved. I would also say that same thing. Traditionally, I would admit our profession did not do itself any favors when there was not an emphasis on the business side of healthcare. That is not the case any longer mm-hmm. in training programs. And that is very much woven in to uh, the curriculum for new nurses today because it's very, very important in the world of today, in the world of the future. How do we manage that caring, that art and that science with the business aspects of healthcare? Mm-hmm. So I would say perceptions are part of history. And it's the responsibility of all of us to change that perception. So in my career, and this is what I would say to young women, you have to change the perception because perception is someone's reality. And it is the responsibility of you to help change their perception. Mm -hmm. And so you have to work really hard sometimes to do that in a different way. 
Right. How do you do that? I mm -hmm. mean, how did you change the perception of you? Mm -hmm. Well, again, I think you take on additional responsibilities yes. mm -hmm. where they present themselves. Mm -hmm. I think you learn the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very cognizant of who your audience is, and then you tailor your message to the audience mm -hmm. so that you can make them feel confident that what they are hearing from you is truth, um, and then they become engaged in the dialogue with you. And, you know, one of the things I think you know, people get very frightened when others don't agree with them right out of the gate, but I always look at it um, as an opportunity to influence in a good way, the recommendations that one might make. Because again, my perception is my reality and their perception is their reality. And together we come to a, a reality that is similar. And I've learned so much from those who have been 100% opposed to an idea that I had. Um, and I think that they've learned from me in the reverse. And I think that's, that's the excitement around working with other people and working with colleagues um, to forward an initiative. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. Uh, you know, it. it um, I think it's, uh, it's healthy for mm -hmm. a group, a company, hospital, organization to have exchanges where people don't agree. And there's a, a book by Patrick... Um, Lencioni, I may have that name wrong, five dysfunctions of a team. Yes. And you have to begin trusting each other to share the information. Like, I don't agree with you. I don't like it when we do that. And, and be open. And management, the, the leaders have to be open to hearing it and not say, this is the way it's going to be, but listening. Right. And that is your leadership style, I think, after getting to know you a bit is uh, collaboration, and that's how you inspire others, that you're listening and you're taking in, and you may change your opinion, right, on how things should go. Yeah, and you know what I think is really important, and you just said it, it's about team collaboration. There is not one individual on this planet that I can think of that ever um, achieves a leadership position and they did it all by themselves. Now, they may not admit that, but if you really dig down deep, there were many people along the way that helped them to get to where they are. And I've learned that over the years that, you know, the great mark of leadership is not that I stand up with a title and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, wonderful. It's really about how do you give the credit back to the team? Because without the team, none of us are successful. And I truly believe that. And engaging the team in the decision making makes us all better and it makes the product of what you turn out um, extraordinary versus just ordinary. Mm -hmm. I would think that's the way you led when you decided to go into managing nurses uh, is that uh, they all knew that you had done it and that you know you know you had their respect because you'd done it and you're managing them and so that sort of started it. You were the teacher in the classroom a bit maybe. Right and uh, led it. And so you, I'm positive, are a good nurse and you have good nursing skills, but the leadership skills have, you know, have come out in your career and you've just, you've followed it. I truly believe that the collective is always more important than the individual. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's well said. That's that's the motto of teamwork, really. I it think. is. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really important, and you know, there are others in the community that I know believe this. Other extraordinary women leaders that I uh, have great relationships with is that we have to lift as we climb. Yes. And I, there have been many people in my career who, when uh, there were um, naysayers about what they thought I could do, would say to me, just keep trying, just keep trying. Here's some advice. And I've always um, appreciated that and valued that. And I try to do that in my own career is to bring others along because somehow they're going to be left when I retire. Mm -hmm. And I want them to be as successful as I have been able to be on behalf of the community that we serve. And that is that is what leaders need to do so that um, the results are sustainable. Mm -hmm. Right. It's really passing along a legacy, not only telling people what you do, but they see how you do it. And it's like, Debbie, here, you know, let's talk to Debbie about this, you know, and, and see how you carry it out with the integrity and the let's get, let's talk to the team and that kind of thing. That's what, I mean, I, that's what kind of legacy I would think you'd want to leave, right? I, absolutely. Um, my team is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Because my team will help us be successful in fulfilling the mission of the organization. Because one individual cannot achieve what it is that this community needs. And so without the team, I'm I'm nothing. Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Good stuff. I want to come back to a number of topics I want to talk to you about. But you, it sounds like your family, um, your dad was a printer, your mother was a stay-at-home mother. Um, yes. And it sounds like they instilled in you a sense of responsibility. You have a job to do, work hard, and do it right. Tell me about where you grew up and siblings. Sure. Um, well, I, I lived my entire life in Cincinnati. Uh, I have two brothers. One uh, brother of mine is uh, two years younger than I am, and my other brother is 12 years younger than I am. So I am the first, and I'm a girl. So you can imagine that um, the oldest daughter, um, I always say I paved the way for my youngest brother mm -hmm. um, because my parents clearly um, thought differently for my brother that was 12 years younger than I am uh, about what was okay and what was not okay to do. <laughs> um, I am Catholic by background, and so I had a Catholic education growing up. Mm -hmm. I um, graduated from Mount Notre Dame High School. Um, and what a wonderful organization. I uh, just stepped off the board of okay. Mount Notre Dame uh, this past year. I was chairman of the board there for a number of years, and it's a, an absolutely wonderful organization. Great school, yeah. Yes. And um, then I went to um, the University of Cincinnati originally, and again, I've been at Xavier University and Northern Kentucky University for a number of different degrees that I have. Mm-hmm. But I've always lived in Cincinnati. Um, I have one son. His name is Peter. Peter is uh, 24, going on 25 years old, and he is in his last year of law school. Okay. And so Great. very proud of him. Mm -hmm. And your husband? Uh, I'm divorced. Okay. Yes. And, um, you know, we were married for 25 years, but uh, it didn't work out. And uh, we're, um, that's what it is. Yeah, I understand. It's 2020, and we are experiencing a pandemic in our country right now. Um, 
you know, the the hospitals were at the very center of this in April. And um, tell me about change. And I would have considered this a crisis for the hospital. Like we have to do something and we have to do something now. I remember seeing on the television these tents in the parking lots with testing and things. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a this is big for the hospitals. What? Tell me what happened then. Yeah, you know, this is it, uh, the last four or five months are surreal. It's yeah. the the most um, interesting time in my entire career. I, interesting is probably not the right word. And I, I clearly remember back in uh, late February, and I was watching the news, and we were sitting in a conference room, and we were listening to everything that was going on. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be really bad. And in the subsequent uh, months, um, what I learned very quickly was that we had no idea. Mm. Um, and quite frankly, we were changing the healthcare delivery system literally on a dime. Yeah. And that is um, invigorating. <laughs> it's frightening. But I'll tell you what, what is so interesting as I now look back, I think about the great teams that we have at our organization and really all over the country. A new um, disease that no one knows really anything about or not much coming out of China and the whole entire healthcare delivery system has to upend itself and think about how to do things that it had never thought about before. Right. Because the spread was so quick and there was no science around it. And so things that we um, had put into place for years had to pivot on a dime. There were days when communications would go out in the morning about here's the things that we're going to do today. And four or five hours later, we were changing them. Um, Again, invigorating if you are a um, junkie of adrenaline, adrenaline, right? (laughs) Some people are, some people are not. Um, But that has continued uh, for the, you know, over these last four or five months. And so the healthcare industry and our organization have really had to dig deep to think about how can you change quickly? How can you innovate? Um, Many disruptive circumstances that the team has to respond to. Right. And what you learn there is that, A, hopefully you have a good structure in place. Yes. Number two, hopefully your organization has great people in place and you have done well with your leadership training. We have. We have wonderful people at our organization. And the third thing that you learn is that you can change um, quicker than you think that you can. (laughs) Now, there's a burning platform right now, so that makes it a little bit easier But I think we're going to take lessons away from this pandemic about the way that we used to do things versus the way that we really need to do them in the future. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And um, what would have taken us years to do in healthcare, we've literally done overnight. And so you have to kind of sit back and think about, hmm, do we debate and evaluate and Uh, be paralyzed by data for too long? And do we not really um, address resistance as quickly as we need to? Because now, in this period of time, 
you don't really have time for resistance. You just have to do it. Do it, yeah. But I think we will learn lessons that can help us in the future about how to manage that resistance right. and how to work maybe more collaboratively that we can than we ever have before, but more swiftly. Um, because healthcare is going to continue to be disrupted over the coming years. Yeah, I I can imagine. Yes. Um, you know, and it's really about uh, a lot of companies have disaster relief. If we have a tornado, if we have uh, a fire, if we have this or that happening, you know, what is our protocol? What is what do we do? And this was there was no playbook on this, right? You know, there really wasn't. I, we all plan for disasters, but um, to be honest with you, most of us, although we were fortunate when the Ebola crisis came out several years ago, we became what's called an Ebola assessment mm -hmm. hospital. And that helped us with a framework on how we would respond to pandemic diseases. Now, no one ever thought it was going to be like this, but that actually was a catalyst for us. Uh, and helped us with our planning, but there isn't a hospital in America that would have necessarily anticipated this. No, I don't think we we were sucker punched by yes. this, and yes. um, it's been uh, it is surreal. I I find it surreal when I get out of my car and put my mask on and start walking. I think I can't believe I'm doing this. Right. It's just so odd. The whole it thing. is odd, but you know you have to look back on every crisis and and think about. What did I learn? And great leaders will help their organizations get through this. Yeah. Right? That's right. Um, and you have to stay strong, even in the face of adversity. And you have to stay positive, even in the face of adversity. Yep. And you have to engage that team. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've learned is there are people that you didn't even know in your organization that have the potential to be fabulous leaders. And in a crisis like this, all of a sudden they come popping out of the woodwork. Yeah, they rise and to the occasion. They right? rise to the occasion. Right. And you find those little nuggets of gold that you really might not have in a different situation known that we're even there. Yeah, you kind of see people and who they who they really are, some maybe positive characteristics, maybe negative characteristics. Some people resist out of fear. We can't do that because this will happen. Right. You know, so you really see people's personalities. There's sort of natural personalities coming out, I think. Right. And um, a lot of people, um, you know, they demonstrate their ability to take risk. And, yes. you know, it's one of the things, and I think any leader's career that is really important. At times, you have to be willing to take risk. You're not always going to be successful, but I always equate failure as learning, not mm -hmm. failure as failure, because for every failure that we have, we have learned something. Mm -hmm. And as long as you don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, that failure was actually something that was valuable. And it was valuable right. for you. It was valuable for your organization. Mm -hmm. And it and it can make you a better leader. Yeah, and learn from it. Pick yourself up. Don't beat yourself up over it. What did you learn from the failure? Right. And just go on and, and keep doing it. That's, yes. that's hard to do. Well, and many of us who aspire to be in leadership roles are in some ways bit of perfectionist because yes. we want everything to be perfect but nothing is perfect nothing is perfect and yeah. you have to be comfortable with that ambiguity and yes. you have to be comfortable with um the fact that not everything will work exactly as you think right. it should right i'm one of those people where i think you'll relate to this where 
you know, there are 15 people on a board or 30 people in a in a committee or whatever. And it's like, well, Susan, you know how to do this, right? You know, you can get it done. And I'm like, yeah, I know how to do it. I can get it done. You want me to do it? Uh, and I think uh, you're one of those people, too, I can tell. Um, tell me about that. <laughs> you, you know, that's really interesting. I once been accused of, uh, I shouldn't say accused. Someone was giving me some constructive feedback uh, at a point in my career, and they said, well, you know, you're always putting your hand up and volunteering for things because you want to control everything. And, mm. I, and, you know, again, perception is people's reality. Right. That's really not why I put my hand up. I put my hand up, and I think um, those that aspire for leadership positions put their hands up, one, because they believe that they have something to offer, and number two, you put your hand up because you believe that you can work with a group of people to affect an outcome that others may not be willing to take that risk. And so um, it's hard for me as an individual to sit back and be in a room where people say, well, will anyone do that? And no one puts their hand up. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll put my hand up. I don't know what at the time I may not even know how to get to the answer, but I'm going to learn something, right? And hopefully, I can positively impact the outcome. And so, I was offended by that comment, sure. Um, but I didn't change, right? Right. <laughs> I didn't change, but what I did change, and I thought about this um, after that, and you and I were kind of speaking about mm -hmm. it, was that what I did change was when I put my hand up now. I will preface it with, listen, I see that no one really wants to do this. I'll be more than happy to take it on. Um, but I'd really like some help from all of you as I do this because I'm not sure that I even know how to get to the answer that we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, And it sort of takes away that um, um, perception that you're just trying to do to it control. because you want control and you want power and... You know, you want someone to think differently of you. No, it's that the organization needs something. Mm -hmm. And if you have the qualities and the skills to be able to affect mm -hmm. an outcome and to influence some decisions, then you have a responsibility as a leader to do that. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. No, no, you shouldn't be ashamed. And the person who said that to you, I assume it was a man. It was. And uh, him saying, well, she, you know, Debbie always raises her hand because she wants to control is a is a criticism and and I think I'm going to guess in part because he doesn't raise his hand a lot. Am I right? That's true. <laughs> That's true. And it's the people that criticize, the people that do take a leadership position that do volunteer for things. They're sitting back and there's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt about the man in the arena. You're not the man in the arena and if until you are the man in the arena, you cannot really criticize me because right. you know uh, you're not doing it, right. right? Well, the other thing is it's always easier to not take a risk and to sit back and be able to Monday morning quarterback mm -hmm. than to go out and take the risk, um, try to create, try to innovate, um, and allow that feedback to come in. And so um, I look at it as um, a measure of insecurity versus those of us that are willing to take that mm -hmm. risk. You know, we have confidence that we have skill. Yes. We have confidence that we can work with others to affect a positive outcome. And we have confidence that we will persevere. 
to help affect an outcome that is desired. Right. And so I'll keep putting my hand up yeah. because I think it's important. And I hope people look at that as, you know, a strength of mine rather than um, the opposite. It's a leader. You're being a leader. Yes. You're volunteering and it's your time and energy you're doing. And uh, not everybody does it. I, and from my experience, not many people raise their hands. And I'm one, I'm like you. I'm like, nobody's doing anything. I better volunteer, right? Right. Well, and I look at the the wonderful women leaders in this community, mm -hmm. and I could talk about hundreds of examples where they took a risk. They put their hand up. Even when the request was probably unpopular, it was going to be really difficult, and there was no answer that was apparent at the time. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen over and over in this podcast, that women come in here and they don't, they have these opportunities, they have these risks they take, and by God, they go in there and they do it, and they don't know what it's going to look like at the end. They take the chance that they're going to be good at it, that they'll figure it out, they'll right. learn. Over and over, I see it. Right. And I think um, over time, right, over the longevity of someone's career, People have respect for that. In the moment, they may not. And there may be others in the organization that wish you wouldn't mm -hmm. because, again, it's their insecurity, not yours. That's right. And it's good that you didn't take that comment and say, well, I'm going to stop volunteering. I'm going to stop leading. I'm going to stop taking things on. You, you do it anyway. Hey, I'm not going to change. That's right? right. It's not me. No, it's, it's not you. Not me. It's not you. Yeah. Um, Another thing that we talked about uh, was that uh, when you were given the responsibility, additional responsibility within your position, the responsibility of real estate for Christ Hospital and construction, you received a text from someone. Tell me about that. Yes. I received a text <laughs> from an individual, and the text said, uh, you need to know that uh, the the people around you and the team members that are going to re be reporting to you don't think that you can do this. And at the time, again, I was pretty taken aback by that text message. And I thought, well, now how am I going to handle this, right? And so I sat for a long time and I talked to um, a number of uh, my colleagues in the community who I trusted and I really went back to my roots and I thought, well, gosh, that's that's pretty, it, it's a shame that people would think that of me. And so I thought, well, now how am I going to approach? And so the way that I approached that, which is the same way I had approached a similar situation years ago when I really had no idea what I was going to do when the opportunity was uh, presented to me, I started asking a lot of questions. And I... Um, really put myself out there and admitted that that was not my expertise, but committed that I would learn with those that reported to me and those that I was working with. Um, and I spent a lot of time reading and touching base with community leaders and um, listening to podcasts and doing a lot of things to help my expertise grow in that area. But the other thing I did is I relied on my team members, mm -hmm. right? My team members helped to teach me, and then I helped to teach them. And so together, um, we have been very, very successful. And I think that's what leaders need to do. You're not always going to know. And you have to be willing to admit that you don't know, but you always have to be able to be willing to commit that you're going to learn. Mm -hmm. And 
um, in leadership, there are oftentimes where we are presented with challenges that we have no idea about or ideas that we know nothing about. And as a good leader, you have a responsibility to do that. And you also have a responsibility to let your team know that you value them and you value their opinions and you value their knowledge because they will help you be a better leader right? as much as you, you can help them. Learn what yes. you don't know. And I'm yes. sure in the COVID thing, you know a whole lot more about COVID and everything than you did in February 1st, let's say. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Very much uh, but, so. You know, this text that came in, I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, that seems uh, not courageous to send a text to me. When, uh, hey, can I? Can we have some time to sit down? Mm -hmm. I have some concerns about your knowledge of this. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, it, it sounds like if I had gotten that, I would have done what you did, which it sort of fired you up to say, I'll find this out. I'm going to show you that I will know this. I may not know everything I need to know now, but I have a team I can rely on. Yes. I will learn this, right? Yes. Well, the other thing is, and, uh, you know, historically, um, Facilities, construction, maintenance, those kinds of things, um, they're very male-dominated Yes. Uh, career paths and, and professions. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and so, again, you have a woman stepping in that, you know, on the surface doesn't have any knowledge about any of this. And, you know, I'll admit I didn't really know it, um, but gosh, everyone has the ability to learn and that's what I mean when, and I said this early on in our discussion, you have to take the opportunities when they present themselves. And it made me a better person, and I think it made me a better leader. And hopefully I help the team see a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that I brought the, some things to that team that they needed, um, and they really um, gave me things that I needed. Yeah. Um, and again, you never know when a different perspective will get you to a better answer. And so I had a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that perspective was incorrect, completely incorrect. And we learned that the easy way and sometimes the hard way. But together, I think it made us a better team. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I had uh, naysayers when I left lending and got into mortgage banking. One of my competitors said... Uh, you know, question whether or not I would be, you know, successful. And then he said, it's harder than you think it is. And he was right. This business is harder than I think it is. But 27 years later, right. fortunately, it's not too hard. Yes. Know? You know, I have a little cup on my desk, and it's filled with candy for those that just need a break, right? Yeah. And the cup says, never give up, never give up, never give up. And oftentimes, when we're in a stressful situation and or having a dialogue with the person across the desk and they'll be like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, it's a candy moment. It's a cup moment. And, and you know, we refer to that very fondly. Um, but again, you never give up, right? Just because a challenge is in front of you that others think that you can't overcome, you never give up. And that's, up. again, that's what leaders do. You never give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Um we talked about gender bias, and uh, I would have to imagine that the gender the gender bias that you experienced as a nurse when there was a hierarchy with physicians is different than the gender uh, you know situations that go on today as a female executive in a hospital where it's pretty unusual 
to, mm-hmm. for someone to be at your level and be female. I mean, tell me about the differences in gender bias there and how you've how you've dealt with it. Sure. Well, um, you know, a couple of things. The medical profession um, is interesting because years ago, uh, most physicians were men, right? Um, right. In in an organization that is dominated by female employees, right? Mm-hmm. And most in history, over time, most of the executive teams at hospitals were men. Now that is changing, yes, right? But you had that dynamic where um, the leadership of the organization was was male dominated in in an organization where most of the employees were women. Were women, and so yeah. there's that dichotomy about how do men and women work together. Right. And you really, um, again, it gets back to what I said. You have to present yourself in a way that those that you work alongside of can gain respect from you. And Mm -hmm. once that respect is gained, that dynamic starts to change. Now, society, um, gender bias has existed for years. Right. And so as society changed, organizations start to change and we have many challenges around that even now in different kinds of biases but i think again it gets back to how do you as an individual change the perception of those around you by exuding confidence by exuding your ability to learn by exuding your willingness to be collaborative and to have the conversation mhm yeah but you have to acquire skills at the same time because those skills will help you in the conversation to gain credibility with those that have power. Mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about is is proving yourself. In other words, uh, you, you might be in a room of 10 men at a table and they may have preconceived notions about what you know and what you don't know. But after a while, they get to know that you do know what you're doing. And that you have a very strong leadership approach to things, yes. right? It is. It is all about credibility. Yeah. And it's all about um, making sure that you become an equal partner at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to do that um, in a way that engages that collaborative uh, team atmosphere mm-hmm. um, because otherwise it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I see that on the flip side. I, I see that in male-to-male interactions. I see mm-hmm. that in women-to-women interactions, sometimes worse than the male-male interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just believe that you always have to think about how can you get to a win-win situation mm-hmm. um, so that e- each partner in this conversation feels like they are valued each each person in the conversation feels like they have input and each partner in that conversation feels like at the end of the day, there's there's an answer that both of you feel good about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, not always possible, but I would say 99% of the time. Yeah, cool. I'll end with a question. Um, where do you think we are as women um, having equality in the workplace, organizations, uh, what advice would you give uh, to to a young woman that's say 30, 35 on a career track? What what advice would you give after a long successful career like yours? Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long. I know, me too. Yeah, 
You know, I think women today have such opportunities that, um, again, when I was growing up, being, again, the first to go to college, that was a big deal. Now it's sort of expected in many Mm -hmm. arenas. Now, that being said, I think there are women that will never go to college that can be leaders just like those who have many advanced degrees. What I would say is never give up. Right. Take opportunity as it presents itself to you. Be a lifelong learner. Treat every human being with respect and dignity. Mm -hmm. And always, always think about how what you are about to do will move your organization forward, will move your community forward, and how can it make you a better person? Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie, for coming in. Uh, Congratulations on a successful career. Well, Susan, thank you very much for allowing me to be here. And hopefully what we talked about today can help others uh, as they aspire in their careers. Uh, I think so. I think so. It's been great. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.